we had a fight for our right to vote. Welcome to Built by Us, a podcast created by Democracy North Carolina, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization dedicated to building a political system that works for all. My name is Liz Rodriguez. I'm your host. And what you're about to listen to is an episode that Taylor and I recorded with Gabby Romero, a Democracy Summer intern in the Western region, about voter ID laws in North Carolina and how that affects the state and voters in many different ways. I learned about a lot of really interesting stories and experiences during the recording of this podcast, and I hope you all learned something too. So let's get right into it. Yeah, Taylor, so right off the bat, do you want to tell us a little bit about what Gabby's fighting for? We had a monster law, that's what we called it, a monster voting law enacted back in 2013 that included a lot of stuff, not just voter ID. So that was the first time that we had a photo voter ID enacted here in North Carolina. And it was really strict. It was, you know, pretty much only a North Carolina DMV, North Carolina ID card, passport, tribal card, or military card. That was it, which seems like it covers all the bases, but it really doesn't. You know, there's no student cards. Um, It doesn't accept out-of-state IDs for people who, you know, moved here recently and just haven't changed it. Uh, So there's a lot that was missing there. It also did a bunch of other stuff. So it stopped the ability to pre-register 16 and 17-year-olds. We know that's helpful because a lot of times they don't move before they're 18 because a lot of people turn 18 by the time they're still in high school, right? So they could be voting when they're seniors in high school. But if they're not registered proactively, then it may not happen. They had taken away our same-day registration during early voting, which was a huge deal for us. We fought really hard and got that back quickly um, compared to some of this other stuff, though. It also made early voting shorter. So it cut to 10 days, which cut a whole week out, which we use a lot here in North Carolina. And then it had a lot of problems with dark money. So it increased the contributions cap. And then there was just a lot less transparency when it came to having to disclose where your money's coming from, how much of it. And that is a big problem in just general American politics, right? We need to know where this money is coming from so that we can track the special interests that are buying out our politicians. So we worked really hard on making sure that we could win back as many of these protections as possible and help our friends at other organizations to fight this in the courts. So it was being litigated for quite some time. Uh, Thankfully, it did get struck down in the middle of 2016, which was still confusing. That wasn't great, right? So in the primary in 2016, people had to use their IDs to vote. And then in the general, they didn't. So a lot of people didn't show up to vote in the general in 2016 because they didn't think they could because they didn't have an ID. So that was not great to begin with. But it was a win for democracy because we were able to help our friends who were litigating in court because we had a bunch of research from our 2016 election protection program where we had all of our volunteers across the state There are about 2,000 of them at polling sites all over to help people who are having trouble voting. And we found at least 1,000 people could not cast their vote. So because we ran that program and kept really good data from it, we were able to send that to uh, the litigators as well as we wrote a, a quick brief about some other stuff that we found. The courts found that this law was enacted to restrict voting and registration in at least five different ways, and all of which disproportionately affected African Americans. So our research and those communications were able to show that they were targeting this specific group of people, which was with racial intentions, which is unconstitutional and super illegal. So that was a huge win for us. And it was amazing that we were able to to get that done. Uh, But the lawmakers who originally put that in place just really wouldn't stop. 
until unfortunately last year in 2018, they were able to to slip in the idea of a constitutional amendment. We as an organization at Democracy NC were very forthcoming and outright with the fact that we were opposing this constitutional amendment. But a lot of other groups and individuals wouldn't work on it with us because it was polling against us. That constitutional amendment was written in such a way that they were going to decide later which IDs counted, which is just terrifying because they could be as narrow as they wanted it to be. And we're dealing with that rulemaking right now. We didn't, unfortunately, we didn't win, which is why we have to deal with this ID law right now. But us being the only organization doing it, by the time it passed, it only passed at 55%. So we made that approval rating go way down to something where we only needed five more points and we would have won. So people just need to understand what it is that they're looking at and why it is a voter suppression tactic and why it's a voter suppression tactic that's mostly for black and brown people and poor people. So that's why we continue to to fight during rulemaking to make sure that as many IDs count as possible. We still are not for an ID law, but we're dealing with what we have right now and doing what we can. Thanks so much for that background, Taylor. So Gabby, how did you start working with voter ID and student ID? So, you know, I'm working in the student union, the same place where I was able to early vote a few months before. And I ran into this internship fair and Darlena's army, she is my uh, supervisor right now in the West, was tabling there trying to recruit people for this very internship program that I'm in right now. And I was like, Democracy North Carolina, do you guys do anything with voting rights? She was like, yeah, that's what we do. We're a voting rights group. And we got to talking about the law. And Darlene was like, how do you guys know so much about something that just passed? And, you know, a lot of young people were busy with other stuff. or not diving into the minuscule details of, you know, state legislation. She was like, how do you guys know so much? And it's because we had to because no one else wanted to tell us what was going on. And we had to fight for our right to vote. Actually, as we're recording this podcast right now, the North Carolina State Board of Elections just released when they're going to seek public comment for the ID rulemaking. The rules around how voter ID is getting implemented is extremely important so that no one gets turned away at the polls. So, Gabby, a big piece of the rulemaking with ID is this, quote unquote, reasonable impediment, which is when you go to show your ID to the poll worker, do you look like your picture? Does your name match who you say you are? Like, is your identity verifiable? I know you have done some work around this while you were working on your student IDs at school. Can you talk more about it? Yeah, of course. So when it comes to reasonable impediments and photo identification, I know for myself, I've had trouble making sure that my identification papers necessarily match my other identification papers. Uh, In a lot of Latin American countries, people use two last names. They use their father's last name and then they use their mother's maiden name. And for a long time, I had trouble getting, you know, my passport and my driver's license and my university registration and all these different forms to look exactly the same. Because, you know, sometimes the the second last name would get cut off. Sometimes one of them would be misspelled. Sometimes they'd pick the wrong one and then not include the other. It it was a mess. It's super confusing. And I was able to figure it out, but it was really hard. And that's just one little piece of it. You know, a couple of misspelled names, mismatched documents. If you have to deal with additional prejudice from 
any form of legal system, then this stuff gets a lot harder. Uh, in North Carolina, fun fact or not so fun fact, you can only legally change your name once. So if you are someone who identifies as trans, if you are someone who identifies as gender nonconforming, it can be really hard to get your appropriate name to match your legal documents. And if you go to the polls and you present your identification and someone says, I don't think this is you, it can be a very difficult and invasive process trying to convince people that you are who you say you are. And I think we need to acknowledge that that's kind of the point of these photo IDs, to make it harder for certain people to vote. So Gabby, I know back at Appalachian, you were doing a lot of work involving IDs and students and their names. What was all of that about? Like, what does that all entail? Yeah, so at App for a long time, your name on your app card, that's our student IDs, had to match your legal name. So for example, on mine, it says Maria instead of Gabby. You know, Gabby's just a nickname for me. But for a lot of people, it's deeper than that. For a lot of people, the name that's on their app card isn't reflective of who they are as a person. Uh, for trans students, for gender nonconforming students, it was really difficult for them to have to see this card all the time that had a name that wasn't reflective of them. And I mean, we've all heard the stories of the danger that people can get into when something like a piece of identification doesn't have a name that is usually attached to the gender that you present as. So we had been working for a long time on trying to make sure that students who needed their appropriate name on their student IDs were able to get it. All of that came to a halt when all of a sudden all of our IDs at a university system had to match some legal requirements that North Carolina General Assembly put on us. So how did that process end up working out? Basically, what we decided was, yes, we're going to make it so that students can put their appropriate name on their app cards. So not a nickname, but like an appropriate name. And that just meant that they wouldn't be able to use them to vote. So these students are having to choose between living their authentic, real lives with their appropriate name and having easier access to voting. You can request to have your appropriate name put on your app card. And in that process, you will be informed that that app card is no longer eligible to vote because your full legal name has to be on your voter registration form. I feel like as an Appalachian student, it really sucks that we have to make that choice between validating our identities and participating in our democracy. It just really makes me want to keep working so that we can find a better compromise for this. Yeah, and one way that we can work towards that is going back to that public comment that Taylor mentioned is send in your experiences, send in what you know about your own personal life. I mean, it's okay that you don't know a lot about North Carolina's voting laws and all of that, but if you know that, hey, my name and who I am doesn't match a piece of paper that the government gave me, then you need to tell our legislators and you need to make it known that, hey, this is going to hurt me and people like me. So it's one thing when our documents aren't reflective of our identities, but it's another thing to know if we need to bring them in the first place. Have you all ever had any issues with people just not knowing what they were supposed to do in general or the rules not being clear? Because nobody really tells people. During the 2016 primary, I was a poll monitor myself with MNC before I worked here. I volunteered and I was at the 
the UNC Chapel Hill polling site, which is not on campus, unfortunately, but it's close. Um, so most of the students go there. Um, and so I was outside, you know, talking to folks after they voted um, or after they came out of the building to see if they voted and how their experience was. Um, and I talked to this one one student. I think she was a sophomore. She came out and she like she just looked confused. And so I was like, OK, for sure. She needs some help. So I asked her what happened. And she told me that, you know, she just walked here from class um, before she had to go to work. And she said that she couldn't vote because she didn't have her driver's license. And she was upset because she had her student ID with her because they're, you know, your one card you use to get into the dining halls and into the gym and all that. You know, she wasn't carrying around her driver's license with her because she didn't have a car on campus. She wasn't driving there. And so she didn't have it with her. And I was talking to her. I was like, can you get back to your dorm um, and come back? And she, you know, was telling me her schedule and she was really flustered. She just like really didn't have time to do this whole process because she had work and then she had a club meeting. I remember she just had this whole this whole scenario and I was trying to talk to her about some of the other days that were left in early voting, but it was it was near the end of the week. So it was a really stressful thing for her and she felt really bad. And and she also just like it was hard for me to experience with her because she felt dumb. And I felt bad that she felt stupid for not knowing what she needed to bring with her. And that happens a lot with our young people like no one is spending the time to talk to young people in particular about what they need to do, you know, teach them how to register, tell them what it's going to be like in their first time going in there to vote. And so they have to pretend like they know what's going on. And this like facade that they have to put up and act like they know what they're doing when if it's the first time they're doing it, like they're going to be confused. And that's normal. Taylor, that's a scary story, because given the law right now, that could happen again. But hopefully in 2020, all of the UNC system Student IDs will count and we won't have to worry about that problem. So what I'm learning is implementing this voter ID law is really difficult. And how are non-students handling this? How are counties and cities handling this? Well, every county has a board of elections, first of all. And in this law, those counties were mandated that they have to provide free forms of photo identification for anyone who's eligible and who needs it. So... That sounds really great. Like, free photo IDs. Everyone gets one. Exactly. But that's ignoring a lot of problems that we already talked about. If you don't have a car and you live in a rural county, it's going to be really hard for you to get to the county board of elections to get your quote-unquote free photo ID. So there's a lot of hidden costs associated with trying to obtain that form of photo ID that the county is providing. And not only that, but I heard from one member of the Buncombe County Board of Elections that they don't want to advertise that they have free forms of photo ID because they're afraid that if they get any significant number of people, they're not going to be able to handle it. And that's really scary that, you know, here's this resource to try to at least try to enfranchise some more people to make sure that their voices are heard. And county boards of elections are afraid to advertise that resource because they don't have the capacity to honestly provide that resource. So it's interesting. But I also heard from the Henderson County Board of Elections that they would be willing to transport their free photo ID equipment to different locations. And that's actually something that we were looking at when we were, you know, just a bunch of students 
at App State trying to figure out how to deal with this new law is nowhere in the law does it say that it has to be located in the County Board of Elections building. So they could take it to universities, community colleges, farmers markets, community centers, places where people are already going so they don't have to go out of their way to try to vote. So hopefully that's something that we can look more into. Wow. So it totally depends on what county you're in. And that, as a statewide organization for us at DEMNC, is almost stressful to think about how some counties are really struggling. They don't have the money. They don't have the staff. And then some counties care so much that they're going to go out of their way to come up with these new exciting plans that they're, you know, Henderson County might take their equipment outside of the building, which is great. But when you think back to the reason that the General Assembly gives us for implementing these is for, quote unquote, uniformity and, quote unquote, having more structure. But do you see what it's doing to our counties? It's it's creating this lack of structure and, as some might say, a recipe for disaster. That's exactly what it's doing, Taylor. Well, I think I learned a lot today. So thank you both for your stories and thank you, Gabby, for being here with us today. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. If anyone out there is interested in learning more about voter ID in North Carolina or more about what we talked about today on the show, then you can visit demnc.co slash idfacts. That's demnc.co slash idfacts. We hope you join us in creating a North Carolina that's built by us. And thanks for listening to this podcast made of, by, and for the people. Yo! Bye! You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at democracync. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.